Hello and welcome to Point of Origin, episode 53, the podcast where I genuinely don't remember this episode at all. Before today, I would have said I wish the same thing, as in I remembered hating this episode a lot mm -hmm. more than I did. Um, I still don't really like the premise because I've just always kind of hated this type of premise, but that's more like a Bane episode type thing where I don't like yeah. the object or the MacGuffin or whatever the uh, you know subject matter is yeah, yeah the yeah. thing that makes it go that that can be the thing that you know kills it for me yeah. um and mm -hmm. then when I was younger I definitely know that this particular type of making it go thing <laughs> was definitely my uh my miss well, spot. yeah when you're younger you're definitely gonna focus more on that one thing instead of seeing like anything else more about it it's kind of like how uh way back when i was first watching stargate i hated uh the first commandment right but i hated that one but then watching it with you i was like holy shit there's all this really great shit in it you know yeah that was me on watching this one where i was like god i forgot how fucking funny this episode is <laughs> yeah i remember when you were watching it you texted me like oh no man i hate this episode and then i heard no more complaints from literally you, normally two if you minutes hate later episode, yeah. i get like 10 more yeah. texts from you during the to be fair two minutes after i texted you that the jokes started and then <laughs> that was kind of it this is a pretty funny episode the majority right. of my notes on it are honestly just my favorite bits of dialogue written down <laughs> oh good because i didn't write down as much dialogue as i would have wanted because just because of the 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 way my the place my brain was in for notes, it just didn't work. <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, so I'm Mel and I'm Liz, and today we are covering season three, episode nine, "Rules of Engagement." I keep thinking of uh, I can only think of his character's name. There we go, Patrick Warburton. Because he was in a show called Rules of Engagement. It's a dumb joke. I think I remember that. My dad loved it, and he insisted on calling my boyfriend Jeff for, like, the longest time because he thought it was funny. I think around the time of that show, I just had more or less, not, like, on purpose, but more or less, like, sworn off sitcoms. I wasn't really doing sitcoms <laughs> anymore. I just like I just like Patrick Warburton, so I'll, I'll watch anything he's I, in. I do like Patrick Warburton. But he was awesome in it. He was just awesome, like period. Patrick right? Warburton. Dude, he, he was excellent in Tales from the Borderlands. Oh my god, he was amazing in Tales from the Borderlands. <laughs> and I'll never, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'll never get over uh, Emperor's New Groove, so. Yeah, Kronk. Kronk mm -hmm. is a national is treasure. But yeah, that, that was a different rules of engagement, so. I like how I uh, put the book down without actually reading the synopsis out. That's because so the synopsis is completely... It. They are completely useless, but it's it's something we do in this show, so we gotta keep it going. So the synopsis for this episode is SG-1 lands in the middle of a blazing battle between Stargate soldiers and a Jaffa army. Believing the soldiers to be the missing in action SG-11 team, O'Neill and the others provide assistance until the mystery team turns its weapons on SG-1. That's actually a wildly competent synopsis. I had a similar thought. I'm like, whoa, this guy actually watched this episode. I know he did. Although to be fair, you only have to watch like the first yeah, seven minutes of this episode for that synopsis. Yeah, but that's like how it should be, you know? It shouldn't be telling you the everything. Or, and better yet, it shouldn't be telling you about a different episode that is definitely not the one that it's supposed to be describing. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. 
So, uh, Such high praise from us, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, for the synopses, they're so bad. I know. Normally. Just like how we're here, so we're just we're just sitting here going like, "Wow, this person doesn't suck. How amazing is that?" Phenomenal. Okay. Um. So the writer for this episode hasn't been around in a while. Yeah, he was uh, a long but it's time. Someone we like. Yeah. Terry Curtis Fox. Yeah, I saw some familiar names today, and I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, and it definitely, once I saw it was Terry Curtis Fox, I was already like, oh, I haven't seen him in a while. And then I watched it, and I was like, yeah, you know what? This does have a Terry Curtis Fox feel. <laughs> yeah, I had to look up the other ones he had done because I couldn't remember, but yeah. Prisoners and um, the the one with the... The one with the reporter. I don't remember what it's yeah. called right yeah. now. No, it was funny because I, um, I did, I, this episode helped widen my gaze a bit to him, which is, I, I already liked him. Uh, yeah. This just helped broaden that for me, honestly. Which is a, I love how I always say something one way and then 30 seconds later, because I was able to say it out loud the dumb way, I'm able You're to like, say no, it the competent way. this is the word I wanted. Way. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, seriously, he really, um, this was a good way to broaden my perspective of him because he showcased what made him a good writer for prisoners but it didn't yeah. feel like prisoners rehashed no. or anything it wasn't like it was God, just no. more of the same it just felt like more competency and more yeah. skill but in a completely terry, different way terry curtis fox like all the writers all writers have like things they go for you know right. I, I don't want to say tropes but like uh themes they want yeah. to explore or ways they approach exploring themes anything like that all writers have patterns yeah of course. terry curtis fox his pattern seems to be introducing interesting new lore yeah and a bit of weird problem solving yeah and i like it yeah but i also like how he um sticks a stayed away i should i don't know sticks he stayed away from being like predictable so for example in prisoners there was the secret bad guy and in yeah. this one there wasn't a secret bad guy nope nope <laughs> um Honestly, the weakest thing about it for me was that garbage wrap-up. But that is always my problem with <laughs> yeah. these episodes. Liz, my last note is about the wrap-up. So we'll get there. We'll yeah. get there. That's, that's what I'm going to say. Is like he doesn't really have a lot of um, drawbacks to his writing, I'm thinking. Because yeah, one of the drawbacks the is something episode. that every writer has failed with the test for me. Yeah, exactly. The reporter episode is his weakest one. And I think that a lot of that comes down to we felt like he was probably asked exactly. to add a yeah. third storyline yeah that felt like that was um a, a shoehorned in yeah yeah this one doesn't have a c plot line does it this nope. episode yeah <laughs> see, it's a very straightforward story yeah episodes that i like the best i i think i've i think i already kind of mentioned this but this definitely kind of hits it on the head which is you need an a and a b storyline at max and mm -hmm. if you're gonna have a c it needs to be more like a b.5 i know it doesn't work like that in the alphabet but i wish it did um but seriously yeah. like a b.5 where it's not really a c storyline needs to be like that what for whatever fucking reason you needed to have more in here to bridge it all together cool yeah treat it like an actual bridge it needs to be more like mm -hmm. lattice work than an additional storyline that also needs to be held up and propped up and continued on its own because then you end yeah. up with something that's a little annoying Exactly. It's making me think, and it's been a while since I've made this reference, so I'll do this one for you. Um, it's making me think a little bit of Psych. And yeah, there uh, how their pattern of B plot lines were usually some long-running joke through the episode. Oh, there we go. <laughs> like, the A plot line was the mystery or whatever, but then there'd always be some sort of little 
little running joke or something along those lines happening in the under like sometimes it was interpersonal drama between sean and his dad or whatever but they're obviously beat because it's psych so there'd be humor the whole time uh but the the way i always remember b plot lines with psych is for the one that never happened (laughs) okay where there was they wanted to have this b plot line where there was a mystery that was happening somewhere in a desert or whatever and that like while they were there uh sean would see a road runner run past at some point <laughs> he just have this that doesn't look that hard to catch and like the whole b plot line would just be the whole episode he's in the background quietly trying to catch a road runner like what the coyote <laughs> amazing <laughs> Just little boxes of Acme in the background. I, I, speaking of our ding ding dings, I, uh, <laughs> I can't, I, I, I almost can't wait for watching Farscape because I kind of can't wait to eat my words a little bit. <laughs> it's not that it was a badly written show. I actually think it's one of the best written shows um, uh-huh. in my memory. In my working memory, and I mean that. And I haven't even rewatched it all that recently. The most recent rewatching for me, because honestly, it just makes me cry every time I think about it being gone. Um, yeah. But the most recent time I rewatched it was when I made my boyfriend watch it, which was like, God, four or five years ago now. So it's not that recent in my memory. And yet, what I do remember for sure is the quality of writing is vastly different than other shows. And I don't mean different as in like higher or lower, I just mean different. That show is. <laughs> fucking chaotic and i mean chaotic i and i know and i'm not saying it doesn't fall you know victim to other pitfalls that like there's drop storylines there's drop characters there's things that obviously didn't happen and i'm not even talking about because the you know show got canceled after season four and they had to do some hasty uh reworking to be able to finish it the way they wanted to yeah i'm talking about you know the first three seasons there were things that just didn't go according to plan or so on and so forth so the show had its own flaws with that but i really can't wait to, like to set up 10 plus years worth of content in our podcast here where we're gonna be talking about stargate for a while and i'm gonna be talking about <laughs> consistently what i consider to be good writing period and, and then what words. i consider to be good sci-fi writing on top of that and i have a feeling i'm gonna be kind of walking some of that back a bit for farscape not in a bad way but because i'm gonna be like so you know how i said i hate this this show i like it <laughs> or you know how i said this is usually a really weak crappy way of doing things you shouldn't have too many storylines well with star sorry with farscape it's different i have a feeling i'm gonna be doing a lot of but <laughs> but actually but actually yeah exactly on behalf of farscape <laughs> Um, and again, I cannot stress this enough. I don't mean that in a bad way. I don't think it's because the show struggled. It was just a really different kind of show. And mm-hmm. I mean that in terms of, I, that's a phrase I keep turning to today, yay. Uh, but in terms of Farscape, God damn it! in terms of sci-fi, Farscape was always just a little different. Maybe it was because of the creature shop. Maybe it was because it was a joint project with Australia, which was a new concept back then. Um, <laughs> still isn't really done today, just in terms of like hemisphere-wise. It's not the easiest cohabitation, I'm thinking. <laughs> As a doggy Sorry, agrees with dog me. dog is barking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the issue I have is when people decide that their opinion um, is a definitive, this is bad, this is good thing, which is why I hate how much of YouTube is, this piece of media is garbage, and here's why. Right. You know? It's like, calm down. Yeah. 
You're not edgy. Just <laughs> That's why I love certain um, YouTube channels. Like, for example, CinemaSins, which I've brought up a million times on here even, is because he'll be, he'll be in the middle of a video where he's like, Jesus Christ, these are, there are so many mistakes in this. And he'll go, and I genuinely like this movie, but this is ridiculous. <laughs> and it's like, I like people who can say that. And I, like, I, and I try to, I think we try to do the same kind of thing where it's like, yeah, we can find all the problems with it or whatever, but we're not saying it's bad. I mean, maybe we are sometimes, but that's not why we're here. We're not here to do that. <laughs> we don't. We we don't have that many bad episodes in our tally. All right, let me get. Uh, we have six out of three, three seasons. seasons. So yeah, it's not bad. We have six bad episodes. Yeah, we've had about six bad writers. And at least three of them are in there because they're sexist. Ugh, yeah. <laughs> oh, actually, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I think we... Wait, no, never mind. <laughs> um, It might not even be six because I have these tallied by writer. Oh, yeah? And some of these writers, like, double up. Oh. Because, like, Glasner and Wright both have one, and those might be a shared episode. Right. In fact, I'm prop- it probably is politics. <laughs> Yeah, we hate So politics. it might actually be be more like five. It might be five episodes that we have rated as bad. That sounds about right. I know we have a couple of mez in there. Oh, we have more mez than we have bads. Yeah. Still not that many. And again, there's probably some doubling up of names in there. I'm sorry. There's always going to be filler episodes, too, that just aren't as good. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, of course. And I'm notoriously against filler episodes. Uh, so we said the writer's Terry Curtis Fox. Um We've liked his stuff in the past. In fact, uh, I don't think we've given him any negatives. He's only done like four where, episodes, though. So Where are you, Terry? Where are you, Terry? Dude, I oh. have like 90 cousins in my family named Terry. If you said at a family reunion, where are you, Terry? You'd just hear the whole hall go, sup? Well, he's only been marked in one episode, which means we failed uh, to mark him in another episode. Because he's done two. Oops. He did Prisoners in the Reporter one. Um, I think we said we liked that one. <laughs> I'm going to have to at some point go back through and listen to all our yeah, stuff. Yeah, when I say I looked it up, it wasn't actually today. I'm just saying today because we're recording today. This was all two days ago, so I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm at some point in the future, I'm going to make these uh, Excel sheets better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so Terry Curtis Fox, we haven't given him a negative grade on anything yet. Um, this director is another return uh, that we haven't had in a while um, who isn't in our Hall of Fame but also isn't in our Hall of Shame. Okay. Oh, yeah, Garrity. Yeah, William Garrity. Yeah, I knew he was familiar. I couldn't. I didn't look him up. I forgot where he's from. I just know that I, he didn't make me want to scream. Yeah. He's not like Valenza I know, or um, Powers. I know he's a return. I just can't think of what he's done. <laughs> Which is fine that it, you know, if <laughs> a lot of time either, either if we know what he's done, it's because he's a phenomenal uh, director like Deloise or um, uh, uh, fuck Martin Wood. <laughs> I was like, oh God, which one did, which one did Gamekeeper again? Martin Wood. <laughs> um, or they're really freaking bad directors like uh as a party <laughs> as a party uh i forgot i i know we hate him but i forgot why uh he did the freeze frame at the end of brief candle oh brief candle <laughs> that's why he did the uh the really bad 
the really choppy cuts in the um, Knox episode, I believe, too. Lovely. The one that was full of choppy cuts. Um, so, the episode opens up in the woods again. <laughs> I love how the two podcasts I do, it's starting to become a joke where we open. In the woods. In the woods. For both of them. <laughs> Into the woods. Yes. <laughs> Uh, but they're in the woods again, because this is filmed in Canada. <laughs> because Canada. Um, and they're looking for another downed UAV. Uh, for a second, I thought you said looking for another dad. Yes, they are. <laughs> they don't find one here. <laughs> they find the opposite of that they in this do. episode. Uh, so yeah, so they're looking for a downed UAV. They hear staff weapon firing, so they, you know, like, get down, get ready, like, sneak up, you know. They do soldier stuff to see what's happening and be sneaky about it. I like do soldier stuff. <laughs> I know a lot about this subject, oh, clearly. Oh, yeah, no, no, that's, that's, a, that's some accurate vernacular. Yes. So they come across some Jaffa fighting with an SG team uh, that Sam can't identify from where they are. Um, and they also note that the SG team are not returning fire on the Jaffa team. I had to rewatch the scene twice, and it wasn't because of what you think. It was mostly because I could not stop being distracted by Daniel in his cute floppy hat. Yeah. Dude, they just delivered with Daniel and his hat stuff this episode, because he had the floppy hat, and then later on he has the do-rag. <laughs> they made this episode for us. <laughs> there are two things in this episode that make an appearance... Um, that make that make a well, a very welcome and much loved appearance. One is the do rag. The other one is <laughs> in fucking deed. Yeah, fucking indeed. Oh, I waited for you so Terry long. Terry Curtis Fox knows what we're here right, for. I waited for you, and I have missed you. I have missed you indeed, dude. This is a great Teal'c episode. Let's get that out of the way. <laughs> That's another point of good writing, right there. Is it doesn't mm. feel forced and stupid and like a token Teal'c episode. No, it's a delight. Uh, but yeah, so Daniel asks if the team is SG Eleven. And Sam points out that they went missing eight months ago on a different planet. It's funny how that's never come and... up before. <laughs> well, here's the thing I was curious about. So, later on in the episode, they mentioned five cycles. Is that supposed to be a year? So, usually in sci-fi, and I say usually as in this is like maybe the fourth instance I've seen of this. Yes. Usually a cycle is a year. Um, speaking okay. of Farscape, it's actually the, not just like assumed vernacular, it is literally the on-screen, on-paper word of choice instead of year is literally cycle. And they don't use months, they say like a quarter of a cycle instead, to say like three months. Well, in that case, I would suggest probably why it wasn't brought up before now is that I think there's been a big time jump at some point in this season or something. All right. Because five cycles doesn't work in season three for what they're referring to unless... Because a lot of times, not all the time, a lot of times, a season in a show is equated to a year yeah. in the show. Well, that's the thing is... Not all the time. Um, and usually when it's not, they'll, you know, tell us how. Right. <laughs> but Stargate is very... Outside of a couple of events, they're very nebulous. They don't, they don't bother to talk about what date it is or anything you know which is again 
like my other show, <laughs> my other podcast, where just out of one episode, they'll be like, yeah, it's been six months since this. And it's like, really? It's been three episodes. It's been six months. <laughs> yeah. Um, that being said, not to poke a hole in what you're saying, uh, I, I actually don't think in this episode, cycles actually can mean years because we actually just had an episode where the timelines, now granted, there's nothing to say that since that episode, there has been a significant time jump. I'm not disagreeing with that. Yeah. I just don't necessarily think there has been because that would be kind of new. Like that hasn't been something they've done before. And the fact uh-huh. that, and if it had happened, that's a pretty big time jump to not have anything said about. So if it has been done, I'm not saying that you're wrong and it hasn't been, but if it has been, I want to give some shade to the show for letting that happen without any better on-screen acknowledgement of it. Because again, up until now, it's usually been like, like you said, like most shows where it's usually kind of about day-to-day-ish comparison-wise, about a year per season. I will say it's been a while since we've heard anything about SG-11, so... Yeah, I know. I'm just thinking, because not that long ago was the episode yeah. where, with the mirror, you know, they literally had some dialogue that said something along the lines of, it's yeah. been about the same timeline. So, I don't think it's the cycles thing. I think the cycles thing is more like, maybe like six months increments. Six month maybe. increments, yeah, that, or something like that. Six month increments like would make a lot more sense. Oof, me and tease, I was, I genuinely <laughs> was just curious what a cycle meant in yeah. this show, well, because usually it's like, a year. Well, it's definitely not a year. Well, yeah, because usually it's is because usually it's one yeah. cycle around a you know like a, an orbit basically <laughs> one cycle around a I mean, star i would believe that it's not a year I, i'm willing to believe it's not a year because of the fact that sam's the one who translates how long that's been yeah which suggests that there has to be some math done instead of just being like oh a year so i'm willing to believe it yeah i yeah um, I, would, I would assume it has to be Quote unquote, when I say assume here, I mean within the realm of because sci fi always seems to fall within our parameters. So, for example, yeah. a cycle, even though it's in a different part of the galaxy in Farscape and it's used as a universal constant among different planets that would have different orbits and so on, conveniently, a cycle happens <laughs> to be about 12 months. What do you know? Um, isn't that lovely? Yeah. Uh, so here, I'm assuming, let's say it's six months. That's conveniently within our six-month six parameters. Months, yeah. So when I assume, when I say I assume it would fall within that, like, half or quarter or third type thing, it's within the parameters of, yeah, now I know I'm basing it on a stupid constant, but I'm basing it on the constant that writers seem to use as well. Yeah. It actually would be interesting, because it's been a while, like we pointed out, it's been a while since we saw Terry Curtis Fox. It'd be interesting to see if he had written an episode in season three before this, if he would have planted something about SG-11 going yeah, missing. Yeah, I could see that. He's a he's a good writer. I could totally, if he'd been given that freedom, I could see him doing yeah, it. Yeah, he thinks about, like, future things, so I, I'd believe he would do that if he'd been a writer yeah. in this season I, I would have preferred now. that honestly because i think sg11 here was used as an easy scapegoat which is it's somebody that we haven't seen since they were introduced in spirits but at the same time we have experience with them so we can feel the proper amount of awe at their demise yeah it's supposed to be for emotional off-screen fridging um <laughs> <laughs> but it can't mean too much otherwise it'd actually be of a significant impact to the show yeah we can't have that can't have that but yeah, so uh, Jack tries to radio into them and gets no response. So he's like, either they're on a different frequency or they don't have their comms. And they move in closer so that Jack can call out to them in person. And again, they're doing a lot of like sneaking and rolling and all that kind of stuff, hiding behind rocks. All um, I can think every time I hear rolling is, does the rolling help? <laughs> yes, it does. 
the action rolling. Galaxy Quest is a great it's movie. It's a great movie. It's a great movie. Sigourney <laughs> Weaver is terrific. And so the soldier he shouts out to asks Jack to identify himself. And when he does, he says, which quadrant? And Jack's like, what the quadrant? <laughs> um, and, like, clearly Jack doesn't give him the answer he wants because Jack is like, what the fuck are you talking about? So he then shouts, take them out. And a bunch of more soldiers pop out from the ground, uh, from ground cover. Like, there's hatches in the ground that they pop out of. Really good, like, you know, undercover blinds or whatever they're called. Yeah, blind. Yeah, blind. Thank you. That's And they pop out and they shoot SG-1 with energy guns. And in my opinion, unnecessary slow motion. <laughs> Almost entirely all slow motion is unnecessary. <laughs> yeah. It also goes on. For far yeah, too yeah, long. Yeah. Absolutely. I think the issue is, what I think, I think the reason they do it is because they're like, oh no. It, it kind of makes me think of like really old school sci-fi episodes or, or let's, let's go not the same genre, but the same sort of, where like uh, the 60s Batman episodes where you'd like end an episode on a quote-unquote cliffhanger where it's like oh no did the heroes survive the encounter is this the end does this spell the end of batman is you know, this the end kind of, of batman and robin and it's like no exactly no because the show comes back next week and i'm not stupid yeah and, and for, again it's like no because this is episode nine of season three and this is sg1 obviously they're not dead calm down it's like when a synopsis in the booklet says is this the end of sg1 and it's like no it's season three of season of ten seasons you're a dvd box set go fuck yourself it's kind of like i i don't know why i keep making references to my other podcast right now but it's uh kind of like there's an episode um in season one called uh pikachu's goodbye i believe uh yep that's the end of pikachu yeah we're like yep pikachu's gone after this episode you know we have we have 20 plus seasons of pokemon but pikachu's gone after season one you know (laughs) there is a trilogy of books that Eric got me into uh, way back when, and it was great because it introduces you to a main character that you think is going to be the character of the trilogy. And they actually kill him? He's dead a quarter of the way in. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, maybe not a quarter, almost halfway. Uh, But yeah, like there's a whole shit ton of lead up, and then this guy literally just gets stabbed in the chest and just dies right there. It's like, it's anticlimactic as fuck, and then it's just over, and you're like, wait, what? And How delightful. I love granted, that. Granted, there was a backup main character who was also POV the whole time, so you obviously know that the story is also about her. But it's really fucking terrific when the guy who's her guide, who you think <laughs> is going to be, like, this big MacGuffin of sorts, and instead he turns out to literally just... When it comes to yeah, Sanderson yeah. as a writer, nothing is ever just done. I knew it had to be Sanderson. It's always Sanderson. <laughs> it's always fucking Sanderson. I love Sanderson. I worship at the altar of Roddenberry and Sanderson. <laughs> Um, I used to worship at the altar of Jordan, but I don't know why I'm saying used to. I, Roddenberry's also dead, so I don't know why I can't still... Wheel, oof, Wheel of oof. Time's also really good, so I don't know why I was just saying it. Stupid statement's over. <laughs> I do enjoy it when they have the, uh, 
capacity to put an investment into somebody they have no intention of <laughs> using all the way through. But I totally understand when they don't kill off Pikachu in season one. I mean, it's Pokemon, so they wouldn't kill Pikachu off. Right. Pikachu would just leave. There we uh, go. But yeah, you know what I mean. Someone outside is doing something noisy. As always. Really annoying. It's like, really? When I'm recording? You couldn't do this any other time of day? Right here in front of my salad. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, so SG-1, do not die. <laughs> Uh, they do, in fact, wake up in a tent. Uh, fine. Although, at some point in this episode, Amanda Tapping fell and cut her face. Okay, so I don't know what the deal was, but the continuity of that scratch on her face was pissing me off the entire <laughs> time. I don't know if it was a makeup continuity thing or if she actually scraped her face and then they were I filming around and actually healing scrape. Because either way, it wasn't right at various times in the episode and it drove me insane. I think she actually scraped her face because of the fact that at no point at, in time in the episode at all does anyone acknowledge that she got a face scrape. There's nothing. There's not even, like, you know, did anyone... Because, like, even, like, when they wake up, Jack's like, everyone okay? And, like, there's there's no acknowledgement of a long scratch down the side of her mouth. There's nothing. I think she genuinely, at some point during filming of this episode, fell and scraped her face. I mean, maybe. If so, then kudos to the makeup. I mean, I was going to say not kudos to the makeup, because if it was makeup, um, you did a shit job. But if it wasn't, then kudos to your team for making it look fake enough that I wonder. It would have been so pointless to put in the episode. Th th there was nothing there. She didn't even, like, fall forward when they got shot. So, like, it doesn't make any sense for well, her to have that. if it was fake, maybe it was something kind of similar to, like, what's been, like what was done before last episode with uh, Jack with the cut through the eyebrow. Yeah, but she doesn't have, like, right. a, a well, running I mean, that's injury what I was, I was, That's what I was, what yeah. I was getting to. Okay. Which is, I know, like, for example, we're always whining about how it's always a forest planet. Um, they're always getting beat up or shot or stuff. Mm -hmm. And there's never any, like, they, they never look beat up. They never, they, there's never anything to show for it. So maybe yeah, this, this was, episode specifically. Hey, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Maybe it has something to do with, they were trying to do a continuity thing on them getting their faces beat up. Like, Jack got a cut eyebrow, so now Sam gets a scratched up face. But they did a bad job of it. That was it. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I would say... Definitely, yeah, the fact that they most of the time come out mostly okay. Uh, but I like, I do actually appreciate how in this episode there's a uh, a narrative reason for why they don't get hurt. <laughs> yes, <laughs> at least there's that. It works very well. No, I, I, the reason I think that it's an actual scratch that she got during filming is because... Like, I was waiting for when they all sit up in this tent and they're, like, checking in on each other. And I saw the scratch on her face. And they start talking about, like, what happened to them. I was waiting for there to be some sort of comment on, like, it having some sort of energy flare that caused the cut on her face or anything. But there was nothing. So I genuinely think it was just she actually got cut during filming. I love how some episodes are, like, super trivia heavy and then others are, like, eh. <laughs> um, yeah, but 
this one was just nothing. I'm checking over it again, and there was like three notes, honestly, for the whole thing. <laughs> that sucks. Uh, one of, one and of them was not on cool. what we wanted. Yeah, one of them was cool. One of them had to do with uh, the tripod mounted machine gun that you see towards the end of the episode. Uh huh. That gun was designed in 1918. Um, that design is over 100 years old, and no one's found anything better. Oh, damn. It goes to show that sometimes you find just that peak level of deadly, and you just. Sometimes you get it right the first <laughs> right? time. Right? Sometimes first thought, best thought. Mm-hmm. So a tripod mounted 50 caliber M2HB, the standard heavy <laughs> machine gun for NATO troops up to the present day in 2020. Damn. Well, now it's 2021. But when this trivia post was written, it was 2020. That's uh, but yeah, what's interesting is this gun was designed in 1918 and has been in common use since 1933. Oh my god. And that's just cool and grotesque at the same time. Yeah. But yeah, nothing here about the scratch, sadly. Which is funny because we were so... <laughs> hung up like, on it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they all wake up and they seem to be fine. They're all checking and they're like, no, not her. I'm, I'm good. And then a guy walks in, um, and so there's a running thing in this episode where everyone they meet on this planet is a baby. <laughs> Since watching this episode, so the first time I watched this episode, I was a, an actual child, like a, a younger an child. Baby. Yeah, <laughs> uh, younger than these guys. And yeah. now I'm older than the age they're about to be. I would say we're like, what, minimum of five years or so older than them. Than what they're oh, portraying least, to be. Yeah. But they look to be, they're aiming to be like, what, 18-ish? So about 10 years young, younger than me. Yeah. Us. The 18, 19. Yeah. So it's funny to me that when I was a kid, hearing them called kid made me go like, excuse you. And now I just feel <laughs> old. Now you look at them and are like, oh my god, you're a baby. They are babies. They which all makes me feel old, look like when did 18 year olds become babies? I don't like this. And, and what's great is that like this guy. Uh, Doggy. He's defending. <laughs> He's defending his turf, man. But yeah, so um, so what I like about this kid is not only does he look like a kid, but he comes in and he's acting like a kid too. He's like, "You guys she are in so much it. trouble." <laughs> He's like a shitty little brother. Like I'm telling mom. Okay, so here's all of my thoughts on this. First off, a couple of uh, scenes ago, I did forget to mention that my favorite thing about watching people look through binoculars is noting to myself that it is impossible to look cool while looking through binoculars. Yeah. <laughs> it's just impossible. It's hysterical. He's a dialogue that I wrote down but forgot to mention was, I love Daniel, as, also, as always, because in this <laughs> scene when they're all waking up from their stuns, uh, and Jack's like, how is everybody? Daniel's line of headache, bad headache. Just <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I I forgot what I was drinking, but I know I snorted it. Um, <laughs> and then this little shit fucker coming in here, yes, comes in to antagonize him just because he quote unquote knows that they can't talk back and calling yes, somebody I love him. four eyes. Oh yeah, my no, god! Lord. No, no, no. So yeah, I do love because. Like, he's like, oh, you guys are in so much trouble. And then Jack's like, with who? For what? And he's like, you're not supposed to talk. You're supposed to be dead. The only thing that scene was missing was a voice crack. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, you can't talk back to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they're like, what? <laughs> and they're trying to f- ask him what the hell is going on. And, like, Daniel tries to, you know, be his his diplomat self of the team and, like, you know, like, 
talk through like getting answers out of this kid and this guy just whips on Daniel and calls him four eyes and I love Daniel's reaction to him. You know what that <gasps> Daniel <laughs> Daniel is genuinely stunned by the lack of originality of this insult. He's like, am I in high school again? What's going on? Wait, like, I went to another planet to hear this. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yes. It was so funny. You know what my favorite oh thing my about God. that is, though? You know what my favorite thing about that is? that You know what that what? tells me? That tells me that in the midst of captivity, being enslaved and forced to train these children in the art of their SGC combat ways, motherfucking SG-11 was throwing around insults like four eyes so that these <laughs> yeah. kids could learn it. That's so good. Holy fuck! Something I love for some military types. Some some habits apparently die really hard. I love SG eleven. Who the fuck were they, they calling for? I for me in my head. I don't have anything against I just, it. I just I, need to know. Daniel's reaction was just so funny because <laughs> he's just like for us. What the fuck? Dude, that'd be mine. If I went to another planet and saw a child dressed up as me and was clearly not a member of, like, the real military and then used the word four eyes, I'd just be like, okay, what happened? What's happening? What's happening? How do I leave this? <laughs> How do I leave this situation? But I love that, like, he's just like, what? And, and Jack, like, is like, easy, big guy. To Daniel, like, don't beat up this baby for calling you four eyes. Also, this is the scene right before this, I think, is the scene where uh, fucking Tilk says indeed for the first time. And I'm just so happy. <laughs> nice. I don't know if it's the first time he's ever said it. But it's oh the first God. time that it was, like, this prom prominently displayed as a thing in my working memory in, a while. in this yeah. show. And this is, I think, around the time that it started finally becoming the trend. Because by the end of the show, of course, it's his thing. It's his thing. I've been waiting for it. I've been missing, indeed. It's not the first time he's said it. No, I remember freaking out about it before, so I know he's already said it once. Maybe he's only said it in Terry Curtis Fox episodes before Maybe now. Terry Curtis Fox is like, no, guys, you don't understand. This is going to be awesome. This is going to be a thing. But yeah, so this guy, he... So they try to ask him what the hell is going on. And he gets all agitated and threatens to shoot them again, which is actually what prompts Daniel to be like, I, I don't understand. If we're already dead, how are you going to kill us again? <laughs> I love Daniel. He has he has really begun to reach his peak. Lo, behold, my empty field of fucks. Yes, Daniel. it's so good. I love empty field of fucks, Daniel. <laughs> like, like endearing optimistic idealistic floppy haired puppy daniel was good too right but i just love but he's already my, moldering my in the ground field of fucks yeah <laughs> yeah but yeah so that's when he calls him four eyes and everything um so he tells them the captain wants to talk to them and leaves obviously expecting them to follow <laughs> and sg1 do not follow <laughs> they just like they're like hey do you notice the patch said sgx <laughs> I'm like, yeah, there's no SGX. And then and Jack's like, yeah, at least not under Hammond's command. Uh. <laughs> I almost feel like I don't. It's mostly just because I don't care for the war games story type. Yeah. Um, so I don't know that this isn't. I know. So what I should say is I know this isn't necessarily going to be a fair thing. What I'm about to say. But I feel like Jack is referencing here an episode that would have been better than this one. <laughs> 
in terms of no, storyline. I here's the thing I want to say. I actually really think this is a strength of uh, Terry Curtis Fox here with the writing because, and I I said at the beginning of this episode, I genuinely don't remember this episode, and I don't know why. So it's so weird because like I remember all of season one because I've seen season one like twenty times. Right. Um. But from then on, it's just like I pick and choose which ones I actually remember. And I can't tell you what makes me remember something over another thing. And, and as we get deeper into the show, we're actually getting to the point where I haven't seen it at all. But um, what I like about this is that because of the fact that I did not remember this episode, I genuinely... So I had... When they first showed up on the planet, I was like, oh, it's uh, Jaffa training to training you know having more of themselves pretending to be sg1 to train to fight again in sg1 or that kind of thing that was my first thought then when they land in the the tent and everything i was like or we already had touchstone where we have some other group who has stolen access to information and knows about the gates and everything so maybe it's an id or mayborn as they bring up as a possibility in this episode so like there's like multiple options for what it could be and i like that no that's not a flaw at all and i'm not even saying this episode is actually a bad episode in terms of its premise i just would have you just don't like the yeah <laughs> the other even though i hate mayborn i would have preferred that to the war <laughs> games thing because the war games thing involves too much brainwashing, training, things that are long-term. It involves too much psychological and long-term damage type stuff that you cannot just write one episode about, and yet it's always done as a one-episode storyline whenever it's done by a show and that just drives yeah. me crazy and i don't mean this as in like it's just like a disrespecting the topic that that goes without saying um it's yeah, yeah. really just like guys we're not dumb <laughs> yeah. you're gonna tell me that these kids are just gonna go home with no ptsd of any kind this whole thing is always done as a short term and it'll be fine kind of thing and it's not an and it'll be fine kind of real life thing and it's just like people are gonna know that so these episodes by their very nature are just written to suspend not just like your disbelief but also your intelligence and that kind of annoys me i actually this whole episode honestly gives me so many anti-war mash vibes um i watched mash a lot with my dad as a kid yeah, mash was and good, man. uh mash was a lot of it a lot of the point of mash was to talk about like the effect of war, war on and especially how like the emphasis on how young these people are was a big part of mash as well like i i wouldn't be surprised if terry curtis fox was a fan of mash with it just it reminded me so much of just like the atmospheric commentary on the damage it does uh especially in the fact that when they uh i'm gonna tie this into where we actually are in the episode now when they opened up on the camp that they wake up in we get a focused shot of the U.S. flag flying over the camp. I think that was on purpose to less about the simulation. And I think on a directing choice, I think that was to tie it in more with the anti-war commentary. Oh, I could see that. Because this episode is very firm about reminding us over and over again how young and impressionable the 
the people at this camp are. And yet it has utterly no, in- it has entirely no interest in doing anything about it, though, which is my point. Yeah, but that's a, that's a failure of Stargate SG-1 in general. Right, but it's still they a never, flaw of the episode. Yeah. You know, like, he has the control over how he writes that. So, you know, he sets up a lot that never has any resolution. He has to know that. So he has the choice of how much he wanted to set up there. I think he wanted to go for full emotional resonance, which would have involved having to set it up even though you know it's not going anywhere. So I'm not disagreeing with you. I just don't yeah. like it. <laughs> I just don't but like yeah, the message uh, no matter what. Yeah, it's probably because of the fact that I spent so much of my childhood watching MASH. Well, that's that, the thing. Like, I also watched a ton of MASH. Yeah. Not because my dad is my mom, actually. She was the huge <laughs> MASH person. I get what you're talking about, and I, and I, yeah. I even appreciate it. I didn't even think about that. So I could totally appreciate Terry Curtis Fox's approach from that angle. It still just bugs me, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that methodology no, it. behind it. That's Unfortunately, I feel like that's just going to be a thing yeah. in Stargate in general, is us being like, where's the wrap-up? <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah, because it's unfortunate when you wrap something up that involves something like this, where it's like, you know MASH, so you know that there's a lot more to a war storyline than exactly. we all just get mm-hmm. to go home and everything's all right in the world, <laughs> or worlds that we're going home to. It's like, no, fuck that. There's going to be long-term ramifications of this, but no one here is interested in dealing with them, I see. Oh, well. Yeah, so that's, that's why I actually appreciated um, the, the underlying plot of this episode, because of the fact that um, MASH was such a big part of my childhood, uh, and... I could see the anti-war messages in this. Yeah, it's funny. I watched so much MASH and I didn't really catch the anti-war part. I just caught the children part. Cool catch. I think it's because of the fact that it's a very distinct, like, MASH kind of connection where it's, like, the era of, like, drafting and we're running out of adults, so we're just throwing kids in, that kind of shit, you know? So that's... I just... I was just really struck by it. Yeah, no, that's funny. funny. That just made a faint whistling noise as it went right over my head. My mother wouldn't be ashamed (laughs) of me, honestly, after all the mash she made me watch, too. So, uh, they, the guy comes back and he's like, you know, you're supposed to follow me. (laughs) And they're like, all right. (laughs) So they follow him out of the tent. And as they're following behind him out of the tent, um, they're theorizing about whether it's NID or Mayborn playing at war games as they're led to the captain. Captain Baby. Captain tries to ad- Baby. Because <laughs> he's a baby. Yeah. Um, Captain Baby tries to intimidate Jack. And Jack, <laughs> this is where I immediately thought of, uh, you know that one, the, the John Mulaney skit about the uh, the cop looked out onto a sea of drunk toddlers oh, yeah. yelling, fuck the police. And, and he, he was, was almost impressed. impressed. This is literally the same feeling where Jack's, almost amused by this guy trying to intimidate right. him he's, he's just like, like oh that's cute. yeah <laughs> exactly yeah i had a similar note where i was like well as always the reactions from the gang are amazing oh so good so uh, so he calls jack mister and jack's like i believe it's colonel captain <laughs> And the the kid immediately spits out, uh, no rank is above strict adherence to the rules of engagement. Uh, name of the episode, name of the episode. <laughs> uh, and then he says, rule two, article four. And then Jack's like, I don't recognize those regs. Do you, Sam? And Sam's like, no. And then Teal steps forward and he's like, I do. <laughs> and he does like a Jaffa Cree tack or something like that. And then the SG team realize what the fuck's going on. They're like, oh shit. <laughs> um, I love Daniel because up until now, his dialogue has literally just consisted of 
incomplete sentences like headache, <laughs> bad headache, or <laughs> four eyes, or yeah. in this case, when this kid breaks uh, character on accident and says, oh shit, this is a challenge. You guys came through the Shapa Eye. And, and Daniel just goes, Shapa Eye? Yes. <laughs> oh, no, I love this. So he says that. And and because of Daniel just repeating, Daniel's just stuck on on repeat mode. Um, because da- Just because of Daniel repeating, again, he says Shapa Eye. Like the guy in front of him said Shapa Eye. And then you say Shapa Eye. Michael, Michael, please. <laughs> But because, I think because of the way he repeats it, the kid's like, oh, no, this was a challenge. I failed. The ch- oh, no. So his subordinate immediately goes, Stargate. Stargate. And he's like, oh, Stargate. Shit. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, oh, no, I failed the, my challenge. Um, and he hands over the re- ray guns to the SG-1. Is like, oh, it's like, I must be executed. <laughs> and then Jack's like, well... We'll spare you this time. <laughs> that was around the point that I actually wrote in my notes. Why did I hate this episode again? And this is the point where Teal takes damn advantage of being the dude in the know and calls Jack an underling. <laughs> this I like how he literally instantly goes into instantly. the role. And he does such a good job because that's literally how the Jaffa would treat the you know human slaves. Well, and also, I mean, he but used to be first prime. He yeah, knows exactly, what to do. Exactly. So I like how it's both incredibly accurate and also incredibly gleeful on Teal'c's part. Yes. And I love how when he calls Jack an underling, there's a moment where Jack's like taken aback like, and like, then like, <laughs> all right, okay, fine, buddy. Fine. <laughs> My favorite, Have your fun. My, my, my favorite part is when Daniel takes on the role of, like, you know, as speaker, as, like, he always does. Yes. And then he's just like, nah, that won't be necessary. Yeah, send for him. Yeah, send for him. <laughs> Daniel doesn't want to be called an underling as well. He's trying desperately not to be called an underling. I just, I can't get over how he just immediately changes. <laughs> <laughs> said for him <laughs> just instantly <laughs> he looked at jack getting called underling he's like that might be okay for you but not for me <laughs> uh, i can't remember his name um the guy played wesley in buffy the vampire slayer oh um I don't, know. I don't remember alexis denisoff alexis denisoff him he weirdly enough this always throws me he played the speaker dude for thanos until uh ronan <laughs> takes oh his God. hammer and breaks his neck kills him yeah remember that scene you know that guy that yeah, that dude uh-huh. for a couple of movies that was alexis denisoff i know i know it's weird <laughs> but all i could think here was daniel was trying to take on the wesley role because he was trying yes. to be alexis denisoff as the speaker <laughs> like i am i'm better than this underling over here who's an idiot don't don't right <laughs> don't associate us yeah, exactly it was just i love daniel i just i'll never um, not love him i'll love i'll love michael shanks's acting Till the day I die. He always looks for nuance in the tiniest of scenes. I, I keep seeing all these pop-ups on the internet of people just now keep cluing into the fact that Michael Shanks is probably going to come back for the new Stargate. And I'm sitting here going like, duh, it's not Obviously. Stargate without him. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the captain says he has an Earth name. And his earth name is Kyle something. Kyle Rogers. Uh, so he says he has an earth name and he's, they are preparing for Apophis's eventual return. And then he also seems very proud of knowing that corn and cotton are indigenous to North America. Amazing. But apparently does not know what SG-1 looks like. <laughs> they got trained on so much, but not what SG-1 looks what, like. What I love is 
the little tiny holes in this. So, for example, I know I'm getting ahead of myself again, but they haven't. They have something here, a piece of technology that carries with it the ability to project an image. Vocum. Yes, a vocum or a vacuum, as Jack calls it at one point. <laughs> now, with this vacuum, you can, like I said, project images. Why didn't Apophis have images of SG-1? Why doesn't he have wanted posters of a nature vacuum style? Why didn't he back in the day? This brings up a good point, Mel. Why doesn't he know what SG-1 looks like? Why did Apophis never disseminate any sort well, of image of these guys, drawn or taken. I would argue, um, in this particular instance, the actual Jaffa guards that were once on this planet probably did know what SG-1 looked like. And they didn't uh, need to know. These guys are cannon fodder. Yeah, the kids didn't need to know. Tiaf that's not a bad point. Yeah, them that's fine. as cannon no, that's, fodder. That, that's fine. That, that does make sense. I guess I'm not as mad. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there's the whole thing where, like, uh, as you said earlier, where Captain offers to get everyone together, uh, gather everyone together for an inspection, and Daniel's like, that won't be necessary, and Teal'c's like, yes, do it. He's like, yes, do it! Send for him. <laughs> oh, oh, it, was, it wasn't to gather everyone, it was to send for the second-in-command yeah. in charge yeah. of the Shafa. There we go. Yeah, Nelson. <laughs> and the Captain takes them to get their gear from the armory. And uh, the team noticed that these are just human, no Jaffa, which is interesting if they're working for Apophis, because you haven't seen a lot of that before now. But Teal'c says that it's common practice to have them, um, I, th I think he honestly kind of says, like, if, if a gold is, is losing. starting to really yeah. lose, he just starts using human cannon fodder. So I like how this isn't not believable, it just kind of cracks me up that among Jaffa worlds... It's apparently, or at least among the first primes, I guess it could just be said for mm -hmm. that, that it's not unknown that when a gold is starting to lose, they start throwing waves of humans <laughs> at their enemies. <laughs> and yet, apparently, this hasn't ever become knowledge amongst the humans. <laughs> None of them are going like, nah, this is sus. Yeah, well, I, again, like you actually said, well, you know. Tilk's first prime, he would be more aware yeah. of these things no, than other it's people. It's not not so believable. It it's just also kind of yeah. funny whenever this stuff happens. Yeah. Cause, because there's multiple planets full of people, and it worked out that none of them have ever managed to be in direct communication with any survivors or anything like yep. that. It just cracks me up because this keeps working. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Well, not working, but happening. <laughs> <laughs> happening. Maybe it, it works occasionally if, if a losing go old... If they're still, if they keep going to it, why would they do that if it never worked? Yeah. At the very least, it's a distraction. True. Um, I guess maybe it's just like that last desperate thing that everyone does, but it's that or surrender and fuck that. Yeah. God, for no way. Um, I'd rather kill a million more innocents first. Thank you very much. <laughs> obviously. Thank you very much. The gold are nothing if they are not petty. True. So. So Sam asks Teal'c what the ray guns are, and he says they're called Intar. And Jack's like, short for what? And Teal'c goes, Intar. Intar. <laughs> I love every version of this joke. I love the one in, I think it was the Hathor episode, <laughs> where there was the 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 weapon that with the with the name that tech, I didn't even bother tech. to write down. I think it was a tech. A tech, but like the actual name was so long that I was like fucking no way <laughs> so he just goes tech <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then this version where it's intar short for intar <laughs> it's great 
So in the armory, the team find their GDOs, uh, but not all of their weapons. So Tilk goes to ask Captain where their weapons are, and he's like, they, they should be in the armory. They didn't go anywhere else. So Oops. Teal's like, okay, gather all of your men for an inspection. And um, Apophis has a talking stick that makes a big holographic Apophis to make people pay attention, which is the Vokum. <laughs> I don't want to get ahead of myself, so I won't say it now, but my last note is a distinct question about the, the compatibility of technology and also how image reconstruction works. <laughs> Yeah. It's basically just another sci-fi use of enhance. Oh, exactly. Oh, definitely. It's definitely a... Eh. Yeah. <laughs> it's a listen. We just need this to listen. with us. That's what I'm going to call it from now on. That's a listen. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I do love... It genuinely is like a talking stick because it's a holographic projection of Apophis saying, everyone gather up. The person who holds this demands your attention you must listen to them i say so it's a talking stick there is nothing to say that the vacuum is not biometrically locked i want that on record that being said they never bothered to put it on record that it is biometrically no. locked so as long as that's you know any for the record can any fucker it. could hold the talking <laughs> stick why does the talking stick exist if, if for no other reason than pure convenience for this episode <laughs> I think it actually works for this, e this episode, at least, because of the fact that, as you brought up, these kids are brainwashed. Oh, yeah. No, it, it totally passes the muster for this episode, but if you think yeah. about it, it doesn't pass muster for any other. No, no, no. Which, honestly, it's the first time we've seen the Vokium. Maybe this is literally the only thing a Vokium is yeah, used it's for. Yeah, still... Uh... Since I've already mentioned cin Cinema Sins here, I'm just going to make sure I give them their full credit here. But this is still very sin-worthy, where even if it makes sense in this episode, the fact that it seems to be a one-hit wonder is a little annoying. <laughs> I hate one-time hit tech. It drives me crazy in sci-fi, where it's like, Here's come on, thing. have multi-use, please. Here's the thing. Um, considering that cannon fodder human armies are apparently common practice with the gold, and the fact that these guys especially were left entirely of their own devices. There's no Jaffa on this planet. You have to have something a lot simpler that someone who isn't exposed to a lot of tech would be able to use. So maybe it's, you know, the, the equivalent of those, those like, baby books with the animal sounds, there you, you know? Yeah. No, I'm not disagreeing with you. I just find it really funny that during desperate times, the gold have to shoulder some risk. And one of those risks is that, let's say, I know he was fake, but let's say a, Kelt, a, a Keltar type were to happenstance upon this planet. He could just walk up, steal the talking stick, and guess what? Now he's got a little mini army in the name oh, of Apophis. I just think it's funny. I'm just laughing at the yeah. inherent risk that goes with the talking stick. No, there absolutely is, but I mean, the gold are... Uh, it's desperate times in this moment, too, so it makes yeah. sense that it's like, well, it's not perfect, but it's what we got. Yeah, so uh, Teal'c walks down the line looking at the weapons, and they're obviously trying to see if anyone's got their weapons. Um, but he uh, he's introduced to the guy in charge of the Jaffa side of things, Nelson, and Jack asks for the talking stick for a second, and Teal'c introduces him as being much loved by Apophis. Which is, like, almost mildly <laughs> offensive. Jack's face right after he says that is amazing. 
<laughs> How dare you? <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. So now that Jack has the talking stick, he tries to tell them all that the Earth invasion has been canceled thanks to rain. <laughs> this is where I start to get uncomfortable again. <laughs> Continue talking. I'm just going to put my head down. And then he forgets that he's not wearing a watch because he checks his wrist. <laughs> I love that part. That part is very funny. Like I said, this episode is actually really funny. You know, yes. speaking of MASH, it feels like a nice combo of the funny years and the Alan Alda years of yeah. MASH. Where there was some physical comedy in the later years where you had some elements that were still jokey, but it was still much more about the commentary. Yeah. Yeah, that's why that's why I definitely feel I I wouldn't be like I said, I wouldn't be shocked if Terry Curtis Fox is a fan of MASH cuz this really gave me MASH vibes. Yeah. Where you've got that commentary but it's still really fucking funny. Right, too. but it's not like those first years where you have uh, Alan Alda walking through the camp naked because yeah. because sexual harassment's always funny. Ah, uh, yep, yep, yep. Uh so the Jaffa head Nelson and Captain are definitely <laughs> There's this interesting combination because what I think, what I get from this read, I, I, I'm i honestly impressed by all of the actors in this episode. Yeah. And when I say all the actors, I'm obviously not talking about SG-1 because they're always good. I'm talking about all of the background actors. No, the I'm honestly genuinely impressed job. by all of them. Um, the, the kid who was eager to, you guys are in trouble, was great. Uh, Captain and Nelson are both great. What I think is interesting is that, like, when he says this, we get shots of Captain and Nelson both kind of, like, making a certain face and, like, looking at each other. But what I think is great is that I honestly get the impression that both of them have come to different conclusions. Nelson is starting to doubt the veracity of SG-1. Captain thinks this is another challenge. I was on my phone for a lot of this scene, so... <laughs> So yeah. Well, I mean, I think ultimately because of the fact that like it's it's a silent exchange of looks, it comes down to your interpretation of their looks. But that's what I got out of it because they both kind of challenged Jack to this pronouncement. And if you notice, because this isn't even a face thing, Nelson was a lot more challenging than Captain in this. Like he even brings up it's either a challenge or you're a traitor. So I think Nelson was a little bit more suspicious than Captain. <laughs> but... They're basically like, you know, Nelson talks back to Jack and Jack is like, excuse you. <laughs> he's not having any of it. Yeah, at least he's still good at making young recruits quake. Exactly. Teal and Jack have been talking with the recruits and uh, Jack's very weak plan did not work, shockingly. In the meanwhile, in the armory, Sam and Daniel are still looking for their stuff. Uh, but they finish the search, and they realize not all of their weapons are there, and that some of the guys. So, like, Captain called his regiment up, but there are still people out doing more war games, and they're like, some people are out there fighting with real weapons, and they don't know it, because <laughs> the whole thing with the Intar is it's a, it's a stun gun. It doesn't do anything. It knocks you out for right. a little while, and you're fine. Right. I do like how it does give a fire and sizzle effect, despite being yeah. um, a stun weapon. I'm not even going to bother to question the logistics of that. I'm just going to go with it. Just go, shh. Listen. Yeah, so when they tell uh, Jack and Teal'c that, you know, there's some people out there fighting with real weapons, Teal'c tries to get the captain to call everyone back. And this is when they bring up the whole thing where Captain thinks it's another challenge. He's like, I will not fail another challenge. And Jack's just like, oh, tell them the truth, Teal'c. 
because they're all worried about <laughs> these kids accidentally killing themselves with their guns. Um, God, especially Jack. Right. Oof. Right. And so Teal'c uh, tells them Apophis is dead, but they don't believe him because, quote, Apophis is a god. So that doesn't work. And they're like, fine. Uh, so they kind of walk off and join Sam and Daniel in the armory. Um, and Sam is holding a kid at Intar gunpoint. <laughs> who, who is like, I need to get a gun to join my team. They're about to start fighting. And uh, Sam tells Jack, gives him a list of all the weapons that they're missing. And Jack tells the kid the games are canceled. And when he tries to argue, he shoots him with the Intar to knock him out. <laughs> Which is terrific. <laughs> so the team leave with Intars and come across someone dead from a staff weapon and someone in Jaffa garb firing on them with a staff weapon. So they're like trying to, you know, get a beat on him and knock him out with the Intars so they can get the staff weapon back. Uh, the captain says he'll draw fire. And when Jack tries to warn him that the weapon is real, he says, Apophis will protect me. God, why didn't you save me? I tried. I sent three boats and a helicopter. Yeah, I know that joke. <laughs> um, so surprising no one, he gets shot, but so does the Jaffa. Uh, like he did, he did cause a distraction good enough to get them. Um, Jackson, Sam to secure the staff weapon, while Daniel Teal till a dying kid up office would be proud of him. Yay! I mean, I do love <laughs> this scene for setting up continuity in the episode. And Absolutely. setting up the real stakesness of the continuity mm -hmm. as well. So I'm here for it. That's my that's the end of my commentary. <laughs> yeah. If you don't have yeah, anything already, nice we to say about your issues with it. Yeah. So um apparently we find out at this point that if blood is shed, that means it's time for the final challenge when the games become real. I love the whole, you know, separate the wheat from the chaff kind of shit. You know, you got you to gotta thread out yeah. the weak. But I think mm -hmm. it's pretty damn stupid during a time of desperatism. You're going to potentially waste half, your, po half, half yeah. your fucking soldiers that you just spent how many months getting trained. It's like, mm -hmm. if you, especially if you think these are cannon fodder, why would you waste half the fodder? I will say, Teal does say that this final challenge is something the Jaffa do. Uh, there's a chance that Apophis was never going to have the cannon fodder actually True, do a final challenge. because if the Jaffa do it, they can heal. Yeah, that their quote-unquote final challenge would have been just throwing them at S SGC and seeing what happens. You know what, that is a good point. As long as that was on the table, then I'm less annoyed. Because that just seems weirdly <laughs> dumb. Yeah, wildly wasteful. Yeah, like, exactly. Like, why even bother then? Yeah. Especially since, like, you have about half probably ish dead plus then you have wounded so then you have mm -hmm. later casualties because there's things like gangrene yep. and shit like that so yeah so um the one upside of the final challenge being announced is that everyone has to come back in to prepare which means all of the weapons get brought back to the armory and sam finds all of their missing weapons and Daniel tries to use the camp's obsession with pleasing Apophis to get the camp to let them to take Captain with them through the gate to get healed by saying that we're taking him straight to Apophis. You know, Apophis needs to see the proof that the blood has been drawn and that the final challenge is going to happen. Blah, blah, blah. And this is, I'm actually going to do this for you. This is a CinemaSins ding. This works. This works. <laughs> <laughs> Although it was 
smart of him to use their, you know, obsession with Apophis. Yeah. Like, no, we're gonna take him straight to Apophis. It's it's to you know, he he looked at what he had to work with and worked with it. So, you know, smart. Hell yeah. No, I'm not I'm not Jack would have it. still been banging his head against the head his head against the head against the wall at this point. Wonk, wonk, wonk. Why isn't this working? Wonk, thonk, thonk. Exactly. I don't know, sir, but I feel like I have a concussion. So the team returned to SGC with the captain, who is at first wildly confused, then wildly angry. Dude, speaking of wild, that this that's a good point of acting there, where you can definitely see this like devastated anger. Yes, it's so good. Like I said, okay, so all of the background kids in this episode are great. The captain is phenomenal. Yeah, I looked him up. And I had a note specifically about how good of an actor he right? is. Right, that's this. the thing is, I also, I noted to myself, I was like, wow, he's really good. So I was like, damn, I'm, I'm going to look him up. I want to see what else he's done so I can, you know, he must be doing more since then. No, that's unfortunate because he's a good actor. Yet another story of, he's done some stuff. It's not like he's done like nothing. It's not like he has never been appreciated again. It's just mm-hmm. that I would have liked for him to have gotten more, honestly. I right. Just yet another story of somebody not getting their full appreciation, I think, from the acting community. Unfortunate. Yep. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> there's this part where when he first got brought in, he was when he was confused he, and Hammond walked up, he's like, my lord? And then Jack's like, we just call him General Hammond. <laughs> um, Hammond so of then, Texas. You know, Yes, Hammond of Texas. Um, so when this kid figures out that, you know, he's been lied to and he's been brought in with the enemies and he's mad, and he's, you know, he gets taken off being held down by security and medical to get fixed up. Um, and Hammond's like, okay, we're, we're going to do a briefing. Get to the briefing room. Explain what the hell is happening here. And Jack goes, yes, my lord. <laughs> so at the briefing room, Tilk tells Hammond about the fan- final challenge where uh, with the Jaffa, they were finally given their staff weapons and two teams were pitted against each other until only one team was left. And then the leader of that team, you know, him, (laughs) and was made a leader of the Jaffa and everything. So I guess healing really wasn't wasn't an idea then either, but I guess with the Jaffa, it makes more sense that you would want to do more of that weeding out the weak thing because you only want strong soldiers and they're not fodder. Yeah, and the thing is, like, you can kill a Jaffa and just grab the snake out of their stomach and put it in someone new. Yeah, that, there's an episode coming eventually that'll pretty much be solely based on that. Ugh, it's the one oof, where they're getting oof, uh, snakes for the, the girl Jaffa. Yeah, oof, oof, oof. Um, but yeah, so, so I, I think that makes a lot more sense with the Jaffa, where it's like, well, you know, who cares? We still have the snakes, it's fine. (laughs) So, um, Sam points out that only their weapons in the camp were real, uh, but Teal'c's like, Teal'c in returns, like, they don't have any Jaffa masters there, they left a while ago. They've still kept training up until now. They will find a way to do the final battle regardless. They have to fucking fashion spears out of stone. They will do it. (laughs) They are determined and fervent. They will do it. So I have a quick question. Um, I have to go with the assumption here that when they say first blood, they mean like first... Here's the thing. When I say assume, I always stop about the same spot in my little argument (laughs) because... If they only mean fired upon drawn blood, then I don't know how they ever expected I don't think they do. to get it drawn from stun weapons. I so think- how did this take so long before someone got hurt enough to draw blood? Here's the thing. 
I think this is an issue of those things where, like, it's... God, I can't even think of the terminology for it. But we're, like... Say... Okay, you know what? I've, I've got an example. Uh, you watched... You watched, uh, did you watch, uh, Rugrats when you were a kid? Nope, wasn't allowed to watch cartoons. Shoot, okay. Well, there was a thing in Rugrats, uh, it was a regular part of the narrative in Rugrats, where the kids would hear part of something that the adults were talking about. But it would be so fractured, and also their children, so their understanding of the world is so different from adults, that the interpretation they would get from what the parents said wound up being completely different. Hugely wrong. Yeah, like, um, a, a specific example I'll give is, um, I don't even remember what, what episode this was, but, like, you know, uh, tickets that you get when you're speeding. Right. You know, those things. Well, kids would hear, the, the kids would hear about tickets when you're speeding, but the only other thing they've ever heard of tickets for is, like, tickets to a show. Right. So they associated, well, how else are you going to get tickets to a show if you don't speed, you know? <laughs> Like, it's that kind of thing where, like, Wonderful these are children. children. Logic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. These, these are kids that are not part of the actual conversation. Right. They had Jaffa Masters before. The Jaffa Masters probably talked about the first blood, and they got parts of it. I'm knowing the gold, knowing the Jaffa, and also knowing that these kids were training with Intars, which are stun guns. First blood was probably, they would probably just fucking pick someone out of the herd and just kill them. So this was their interpretation of it, Rugrat style. I, ca first, I could see yeah, that. First blood for the gold is probably like some sort of ritual sacrifice. Sure. I could, I, I could totally see it being the Rugrat style thing. Yeah. No, I had the same thought as you where I was like, if they're using Intars, how are they ever drawing first blood? Yeah, it's like, what, are you waiting for the day one of them finally snaps and kills the other? <laughs> Yeah, like, so I think it's down to here? a. I think it's down to a Rugrats. These kids have been left alone. They've never been trusted. No, that's to a great interpretation. But they've that. heard things. I'm totally here for that. I like that. It helps yeah. explain it. So uh, Daniel at this point also points out he's like, you don't need to kill. You don't need guns to kill people. <laughs> and uh, and he's like, we're kind of responsible for the fact that they think the final challenge is happening now. You know, if we hadn't brought real weapons there. They wouldn't have gotten hurt with real weapons. This never would have happened. We kind of need to fix this. Like, we're responsible for the fact that they're all about to go kill each other. And Hammond's basically like, listen, I'm okay with sending you back, but we need to have a better idea of what we're sending you back to first. So you gotta get this kid to talk. Like, you were there for a day and you only got half of the story anyway. Like, you need to get direct information from someone. And Jack's like, I can do that. I, I can get this kid to talk. Um, and so he goes to see him at the med bay, and, uh, he, there's a, a funny little exchange where he brings the f tray of food over to him, and he's like, so, you haven't been eating? And Captain's like, it's poison, and Jack says, it's hospital food, of course it is. My favorite thing about it is that he knows what the kid's going on about and why he's not eating it, so the first thing he does is he immediately starts is eat eating it, yeah, the food. To prove it. Yeah. But it seems all irreverent, well, and I love it. Yeah, it's very, it, it's great. It, what's wonderful about it is that, like, we're getting those reminders that Jack was black ops, and Jack knows, you know, this whole idea of being a POW and, like, all of that stuff right. without having to be told it again. Like, we already know. The show has already told us he had this background. So now we're just seeing him use that experience cleverly i also must point out though that according to um one of the trivia pages i'm always reading 
Uh, there's actually a goof here, and I wasn't paying attention to it. This is funny. This is usually a continuity thing that I'm actually usually going, like, like yeah. eagle eyes on, but I don't know, for some reason I didn't notice here. But the amount of sandwich that he's holding changes between shots. Oh, that's always a thing. Right, because multiple <laughs> shots. I, yeah. I'm always laughing. My favorite example of this is, and I know you're on, Eric always loves an example of this too, which is on Brad Pitt from Ocean's Eleven. Because he's always eating in all of his shots, but that shot where he has indigestion is after eating a sandwich is because they'd done like 10 takes of that and he'd eaten like 10 sandwiches. Oh, I wasn't even thinking of that. I was thinking of the one exchange. I think it's right when they reveal Tess being there. In the long shots, I think I think it's in the long shots, he's holding a one of those like cocktail glasses yeah. of cocktail shrimp yeah. and then in the close shots he's got a plate of cocktail shrimp <laughs> well to be fair it sounds about right because he's always eating yeah but but it's the same scene it's within like it's like literally it's like a long distance shot and then a close shot it's the same food but it's a different holding container <laughs> which makes me wonder if like they did the cocktail glass shots first and then it got dropped maybe yeah i could see that my favorite one is, it's actually not a mistake, it's just really funny. It's from mm-hmm. uh, Lost Girl, which is, uh, I don't know, I, I, I want to like that show more than I do. <laughs> but there's a character in it at one point where apparently the actor thought it was funny if she ate the uh, rest of a, she had a donut with her in the scene. Oh, you told me about And she ate the this, rest yes. of the donut as the shot opened. And then she and immediately then regretted that. that. She has to do that every So time. she had to eat a fucking donut every shot. Uh. So yeah, I told you before, because it's just never not funny that she was like, yeah, that was a mistake. So yeah, whenever I, I see this. the opposite. It makes me think of the opposite of that, where um, actors who would find excuses to eat in a scene and the editors are like, stop it! (laughs) Like, um, in the pilot of Psych. Oh, yeah? um, James had hidden, like, a bag of, like, trail mix (laughs) in one of the drawers of Dulé Hill's desk at his office for Gus and, like, just insisted on snacking on trail mix the entire scene and they tried so much to cut behind it as much as they could. And there's also in Avengers. I was just going to say, that's uh, what I was going to bring up was uh, Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr. kept hiding blueberries on the scene and they kept like, where are you hiding all of these? Where are these coming from? (laughs) Yeah, that scene where he offers some to Bruce Banner. Yes. That's that's not in the script. That was Robert Downey Jr. just hiding food on the set. He was hungry. Dude, that's me. I had a job for a while where everyone always knew they could come to me for snacks because I always, pre-COVID days, before this was a gross yeah, thing to yeah, do. Yeah, obviously. Uh, but I was always known as the chick with gummy worms because <laughs> I was always, I always had munchies. And so they, I just had a little stash of gummy worms somewhere at all times. <laughs> but yeah, uh, this is actually, so this scene where Jack is talking the captain around is actually where I made the point about how this episode gives me so much anti-war mash vibes. Yeah, okay. Um, because of the way he's, like, talking this kid around and, like, everything. This um, was the, the Sydney small... scenes from mash. Yeah. But his small talk with the captain and convinces him to take the sandwich um, before telling him Apophis is dead. And he's, again, like, no, you know, he's a god, he can't die, blah, 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 blah. So uh, the SG-1 team all get a tape of Apophis dying and show it to him. And this guy is an amazing actor <laughs> watching him react to watching Apophis die. He, speaking of devastated, this is like a yes. moment for him. Jeez. Because like there's this great where he's like just disbelieving at first. Like this is fake, blah, blah, blah. And then you just see as it goes on and he's just like, 
Oh my god. Where like his whole life has been a lie, you know? <laughs> That's what it is, honestly. Guess what she said there, guys. Have fun with that. Someday maybe we'll say all of the things that we bleeped. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I'm gonna fully. I'm gonna act like a congressman. I'm just gonna pretend that everything in my past is possibly inflammatory. Yeah, there we go. So one of these days, you need to bleep something entirely harmless, entirely <laughs> innocent. Like that is a yeah. lovely wisteria blossom right there. Yes, <laughs> and let people guess what the fuck we just said. <laughs> That's gonna be a running joke now. Um, and a lovely wisteria blossom. Yes. Um, so, oh yeah, so when they're telling him about, you know, Apophis dying and everything, Teal'c once again claims to have been there when Apophis died, when it's like, no, you were at the gate room, dude. It's on camera. <laughs> we Listen, know he really you wanted to there. be there. He wanted to be there. It makes sense. He should have been there. It would He should it, have been there. Teal'c should have been there. To witness the death of the god. Absolutely. That he mm -hmm. spent how much of his life fighting to overthrow. You're not wrong. That was so disrespectful to his character that they're lying about it now. <laughs> well, I think that's why they, they've now twice now tried to claim he was there when Apophis died. Because they're like, listen, I know the filming of that sucked, but just pretend he was, he was always there. Just pretend. <laughs> they're just, you know, alternative facting it. Yeah, exactly. So, um, Teal tells the guy, uh, the war is over. He can go home. Oh, no, not Teal. The team tell him that the war is over and he can go home. And he says it's not over because his team are all about to die in the final challenge for a fraud. So they basically bring him into a briefing at this point. Because he's, he's had his moment of devastation and now he's just like, I need to do something to fix this. You know, I'm ready to help, do whatever I can. Apophis might be a fraud, but the bonds he made with the, the other kids at the camp, that's real. You know, that kind of shit. Yeah. So Captain gives his real name and it's... <laughs> Rofig um, I, I I have the page. Oh, I did. I I wrote it down, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Rofia Gipsy, Rofia Gissy, or something like that. Yeah, I. Yeah, I. Rofia Gipsy. Rofia. He says it, and it yeah, doesn't does. sound anything like that. It's like Rofiagi or something, and it. Rofiagi. Let's go with Rofiagi. And it's like half um, the letters are silent, and much like with a lot of names that are, are long and yet are almost entirely silent, I'm like, why do you troll people who are trying to read this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking it. <laughs> I said it for you. But I do like that in response to this name, Jack just has this long pause, and then he's like. Your earth name is Kyle. Can we call you Kyle? <laughs> He's so desperate. I spent Please. the majority of this episode being Daniel, but then there's little moments where da where Jack yeah. has a line where I'm like, stop it. <laughs> it's so good. I, uh, I, 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 I have fallen I've fallen into a stereotype. I, uh, I was already a bit of a basic bitch, but now I've discovered TikTok, and I'm not making them, but they're fun to watch. And there's oh. this one chick, she's like, People say I'm like Ryan Reynolds, and I'm like, nah. And then I looked up a picture of Ryan Reynolds without a beard, and I'm like, 
get out of my body, Ryan. <laughs> I fucking <laughs> lost it when she did oh that. Oh my god. But every now so and then funny. the show kind of makes me think about her a little bit because I'll like, because one of them will have a line and I'm like, get out of my body, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so much worse when I say it, though, Mel. Yeah, it does. It does sound worse. But yeah, so uh, so after Jack desperately asks Captain if they can call him Kyle, Kyle just kind of like kind of t- small smiles down. He's like, "I'm used to that name. It's fine." Yeah, <laughs> I like it. He's just like, "Yeah, from what I've gathered of your planet, y'all don't do names like that." <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, he tells them they were brought to that planet right after, and this is where the the six cycles thing, five cycles things come in, and Sam figures out they were brought to that planet right after the team blew up Apophis' ships, and that they learned, um, all of the stuff they knew about Earth from the missing SG-11 team, and, uh, you know, they, they got all that information, but that SG-11 were eventually killed because they refused to, like, give big secrets about SGC, you know? Like, <laughs> they would tell them cotton and, and uh, corn are indigenous to North America, but not, here's the GDO coordinates to open the gate to get to to SGC, you know? So they got killed for that. Um, and then... So you've seen Jojo Rabbit, so all I can think about is yes. how the bodies were displayed. Yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he says that, you know, sometime after that, the Jaffa all started slowly leaving until there were none left. And it was just them continuing the war games on their own. This is where the show goes good. This is where it gets good for me, like, story-wise, where it's like, this is sad. Yeah. So he tells them also that before the last Jaffa left, they showed him and Nelson where a cave was that had real weapons in it. And earth weapons, for that matter. Just showed a bunch of kids a pile of guns and said, peace. Yep. Peace out. He asks if he can be sent back to save his team. And they're like, well, listen, no one's going to listen. Like, you already tried to tell them Apophis was done once. They didn't listen to you. They didn't believe it. You saw that you had to see Apophis dying to understand and believe it yourself. And Sam comes up with the answer of using Apophis' death tape and the vocum in conjunction with each other to convince everyone Apophis was dead. Okay, so I actually like that the episode even takes pains a little bit later to go, yeah, meshing Earth tech with Go Old tech isn't easy, and with some yada yadaing, we'll make it work. Cool. That's fine. You want to do your applied phlebotanum, I always say the term wrong, but whatever. You want to do your shit there, do your sci-fi yada whatever, and I will, I, I'm here for it. I called it Magic Sky once. I'm here for it. <laughs> it's, it's, that's not my problem. My yeah. only problem is here is that the one thing they do gloss over, which is how the fuck does their enhanceology shit here account for making a 3D image out of a 2D recording? I mean, I, obviously it I manages to because it happens, but I'm just sitting there going like, Well, I mean, hmm. the tape that they play isn't suddenly like a hologram. What they add to it is not a holographic image. It is just, it's kind of like if you had a projection and you put it up again. Like, theoretically, if it was projecting there should have been a, a wall behind it. it. If, if yes. you're saying it's projecting a 2D image, then I'm here for that. It appeared it to is. me that it was projecting a 3D image, much like the giant apophis no, no. it prints, where I'm like, no, no that's bullshit. No, it was projecting 
It was projecting into Okay, the well, edge. in that case, you agree it with me, which means that it would have been less. If there was a wall behind yeah, it, that would have yeah, made a little fact. bit more sense. But you agree but with me that it wouldn't have been able to make a 3D so, no, image no, out no, of a 2D no. recording, mm-hmm. right? No, no. Cool. That's no. all I care about, which is good. So in that case, I'm I'm fine no, with it. It was the... a projection. Well, that's the thing is, it was clearly a projection, but it looked, it looked like it was yeah, projecting yeah. a 3D image, and I'm like, how? I'm I understand where you would expect that since it went from the holographic apophis to that, but. But yeah, so Sam says she can jerry-rig the Earth tech and the gold tech in the field to make it happen. And Jack says that they can use the Intars to, you know, basically shoot first and ask questions later. They can shoot their way in without having to worry about hurting anyone. Because the Intars are just going to knock people well, out. not permanently hurting them anyway. <laughs> yeah. So um, Jack talks game plan as they are walking up to the gate to get through. <laughs> and I love that he pauses as they're in front of the gate and he's like... Daniel, what did I just say? <laughs> and Daniel's like, huh? <laughs> oh, God, I love that dialogue. Is everyone clear on that? Daniel, what? Good. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. I love that he, like, even though they, Daniel clearly wasn't paying attention, he also didn't care because he's like, Daniel's just going to follow me anyway, which is what he should be doing. So it's fine. So who cares? Which is also, I think, why Daniel wasn't listening because Daniel's like, whatever, I know I'm going to follow Jack wherever he's going. <laughs> And sure enough, Daniel doesn't split with Jack at all in this plan. Daniel has left behind stupid Daniel. Yeah, I love it. He's got the (laughs) do-rag now. He's learning. Oh, I love the do-rag. I was so happy to see the do-rag. But yeah, I just love it. Got that, Daniel? What? Good. Good. (laughs) Again, I was just distracted by his hat because do-rag. Yeah, do-rag. I love his do-rag. So, um, I don't think it's even called that. I feel like every time we say that, everybody listening, all like five of them are going like, it's a fucking bandana, you dumbass bitches. It is, but whatever. I don't care. I called it the do-rag in the first episode solely because of Uncle Jesse from Full House, and I am sticking <laughs> with it. Whatever. It's, it's just, we love him in it. Yeah. Okay. I love that's, him in the that's bandana. That's what matters. But I'm calling it a fucking do-rag because I don't care. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, the captain... <laughs> The captain loves to play hero and uh, decides to draw fire again for the team. And Jack yells at him for it when they come through the game. <laughs> He's like, stop doing that. He's like, it worked, didn't it? He's like, <laughs> um, but yeah, so we get a scene where we see the team sneaking around the camp, basically to get into a good position. Like we, we it's, it's honestly a lot of fun because we see a lot of like, the the people in the camp who are just like you know standing guard but then we'll see like right behind them someone in sg1 kind of like sneaking past and then getting into a better hiding position it's a lot of really honestly really well shot um sneaking going on in the camp sneaking around buildings and outposts and all sorts of things it's well shot but we get to the point where everyone else is in position so captain is already got perfect comedic timing with the team because he he steps forward and he gets the sergeant's attention and he's like I have returned with a message from Apophis and then he says he says the words I have glorious news and then in perfect timing right after saying I have glorious news SG1 opens fire on the rest of the camp and knocks them out the comedic timing there was phenomenal. <laughs> no, like I said, this episode's very funny. Yeah, I love it because he says that I have glorious news. SG-1 guns down everyone behind the sergeant. The sergeant looks like, what the hell? And then Captain pulls out his own gun and shoots him. It's so funny. 
Um, but yeah, so Sam and Teal and the captain uh, go to get the Vokum and prepare it in a tent uh, while Jack and Daniel are holding off the approaching teams. At which point, Jack finds out that they have mortars and missiles. <laughs> and he's like, you couldn't have told me that before? Why is he just now telling about them? Why is Jack just now asking for specifics? Why does why do these conversations always happen during and not before? <laughs> I, I do love the dialogue before this, which is like, you know, is it ready? Good. I'm not. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... So, like, they eventually leave just Sam in the tent to fix it up so that Teal'c and Captain can help Daniel and Jack hold off the line. Um, but she finishes melding all the tech and runs out to run the new video message. And then Nelson uh, tries to argue against watching the video. He's like, we can't do anything until the fighting's over. <laughs> I, I do love that as soon as the holographic image of Apophis popped up, everyone just stopped fighting and started walking Yay, forward. brainwashing. Yeah, exactly. It was it was well-framed, well-directed. Just, like, instantly, no more fighting. They were so gung-ho about the final, the final challenge. But as soon as Apophis in the sky says, come forward and listen to this person, they just stop whatever they're doing and walk forward to listen to this person. Except for Nelson, who tries to be like, you're not supposed to interrupt the final challenge? This this isn't allowed? Yeah, well. But this is uh, this is actually another issue kind of like um, in Spirits. There's a moment here that's a callback to an issue in editing with Spirits. Where, you remember when uh, there was the, the team coming out of the mist and they reacted to the team coming I out of the, the mist? I had the exact same thought. He full on reacts before anything he, he reacts happens. He reacts to something in the sky before the image in the sky yeah. changes. Which is a problem of editing. But yeah, so, uh, so the, the image changes um, and everyone sees Apophis dying. And everyone's immediately like, just like... Oh, well, never mind. Guess God's Devastated. <laughs> But you see, like, actual devastation yeah. in their reactions and everything. And and uh, Nelson's like, well, what, what, what will become of us now? And he's told they can all go home. And and my last note here is Stargate continues its proud tradition of abrupt endings with no follow-through to a conclusion. And there were never any that's repercussions anywhere, ever. And they all live. Literally, they tell Nelson, you're all free to go home. And the camera just pulls up and does like an above wide shot of the camp as everyone disperses. And that's the end of the episode. Stargate SG-1 is Joan Wilder's editor from Romancing the Stone 2. Where Joan Wilder goes, I'm having a hard time writing because like all I can think about is what happens after they sail off into the sunset and the editor's like who the fuck cares <laughs> no one fucking cares they sail off into the sunset it's happy fucking ending goddamn full stop that's sg1 it's like at the end of the episode it's like yeah. you better shut the fuck up about your happy ending okay <laughs> it's happy it's a fucking sunset shut it it is it definitely is sg1 is not interested in follow through <laughs> Like, it has some great episodes that actually are purposeful, like, follow-through callbacks. But other than that, every single one of their, ra- their yeah. wrap-ups is like, hey, guess what? It's not a problem anymore. Yep. Yep. Somehow, it's fine. It's totally fine. Don't worry about it, guys. <laughs> but that is the end of the episode. <laughs> as abrupt as yep. it is. <laughs> and it's hella abrupt. It's like, yes. oh, cool. That's just it. 
It's one of the most abrupt. They literally all just had. like scattershot like a pool table. All the kids just yes. disappear as if they're all not just gonna grab their shit and go single file themselves through a Stargate. <sighs> yeah, I'm done. <sighs> but uh, let's go over our normal things that we go over at the end of these episodes. Nobody died. Nope. I mean, at least one uh, cannon fodder kid died, yes. but we don't know his name, True. so. <laughs> and SG-11, poor SG-11 bit the bullet poor a while SG-11. ago, SG-11. Like. Yeah, poor guys. Are you a Jack, or are you a Daniel? I am a Daniel. Uh, Jack did make a couple of good runs, but I'm mostly just Daniel because of all his reactions, and we've already had this conversation. So, for example, you talked about how, like, you would never, you like, the secondhand embarrassment thing for you about time travel is that you would never be, like, sticking out like a sore thumb so much. You'd be like, oh, yeah. clearly things are different. I need to blend in. That's the kind mm-hmm. of thing that Daniel does a lot. Like, where he's like, no, I'm speaker. Or, no, I know, I know yeah, what's yeah, going yeah. on. Or reacting and nothing else. So, yeah. No, I was pretty much just Daniel in this. Plus, I'm not in the military, so I'm none of that, no. uh, pow shit that jack was yeah yeah that's absolutely fair uh yeah this is another one where like jack really tried yeah yeah he he made a a valiant effort um we're we're both more likely to be jack if it's not a military focused episode yeah yeah probably (laughs) considering how we're the opposite i just between between daniel immediately changing his mind and agreeing with teal to avoid being called an underling (laughs) And his just baffled reaction to being called four eyes. Yep. Plus, I am hella blind myself. I my contacts are so so thick I can feel one of them. And we just had the conversation the other day about how thick my lenses are in my glasses. Hmm. So I feel his pain no, I, with the four eyes. His reaction to the four eyes thing makes me think of a time in in middle school, and it's been so long, and it was so inconsequential that I genuinely don't remember what this boy called me but he did call me something like that was supposed to be an insult i think it was probably something like like nerd or something and i was like so you're you're saying i'm smart thanks (laughs) i was just like like he tried to insult me and i was like i'm not i'm not insulted by what you called me thanks (laughs) so it's it's the same sort of theme it's like did you mean to hurt me with that because you didn't so, uh, Joaquin Phoenix for this episode. It's a good episode. I, uh, I, I, I actually really like it. This was a massive turnaround for me in terms of, like, what my memory was. And my, uh-huh. like, I was just, I was antsy going into it because of all the things that make me uncomfortable about it. But those were honestly, like, uh-huh. two scenes that lasted, like, a minute or two apiece. So, well, one of them lasted, like, yeah, five. But was... honestly, it felt like a minute because I was on my phone for so long. <laughs> <laughs> I, I loved this episode. I... Yeah, when you said, because when you told me that you didn't like this episode, and then I saw who was writing it, I'm like, really? But Terry Curtis Fox is a good writer. Yeah, he did that. And I started watching this episode, and I'm like, this is a great episode. (laughs) And again, like, I do feel some interesting nostalgia for MASH in this, too, because I definitely got those, like, themes that MASH had as well. Um, but Terry Curtis Fox always does interesting things with lore. He always, he doesn't just go for the surface. He actually, he, he gives you some depth to anything he writes and I appreciate it. It's always interesting what he gives us. So far so much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, I do wonder, I know some people, I've never done this, but I know some people will start listening to a podcast on like the latest episode. I do wonder if sometimes people are like, what do they mean Joaquin Phoenix? What do they say? 
It's been how many, uh, yeah, months later? It's like, thumbs up or thumbs down from Gladiator. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, I thought I was clever yeah, when so, I said it way back when. Uh, but yeah, so that is the end of this week. Next week, we are covering a big one. A big one. Episode 10, Forever in a Day. I'm excited. There's a great sweater in this episode. <laughs> I'm just trying to keep it all to myself so we're not here for another hour. That's why I'm talking about the sweater. <laughs> there's a great sweater in this episode, just like there's a great sweater in Abyss. There we go. <laughs> yes. So yeah, um, that's it. If you want to get a hold of us, you can find me on Twitter at It's Mel Not Liz or our podcast Twitter at Point of Origin PC. You can also email us at pointoforigincast at gmail.com or write something on the side of a tissue box and toss it through the nearest wormhole. You can find links to things we talked about during the show in the show notes. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Thank you for joining us on our incursion through the iris. And until next time. <laughs>